few years ago, I had the opportunity to perform a wedding for the daughter of a friend of mine over in Indianapolis. I had this chance to, to perform this wedding kind of as a, a family favor, and I got to meeting with the young couple. Uh, we actually had to Skype to do some of our premarital counseling sessions, and I was amazed to find just how eager they were, not just to get married, but they were eager to do things right. They wanted to go through the counseling. They wanted to know with the little tests that I give them what all their problems were and how they could work through those things. It was amazing. They were so into the process. And I talked to, to my friend, the, the bride's mother. I said, how do you feel about, about your daughter getting married to this guy? And she said, Brett, when, when he came to me and asked me if he could marry my daughter, he brought, her and her husband, he brought us his plan. He came with a plan. An education plan, a job plan. He has a career path that he's, that he's on. He's got a five-year plan. He's got a 10-year plan. He's got a 15-year plan to make sure that he can provide for our daughter. She said, if he had asked me, I would have married him right there on the spot. There's something impressive about people who take time to plan. There's an old story about George Bernard Shaw. He was an English playwright, an English author, and Shaw had a friend who was a sculptor. A sculptor. And he walked into his friend's studio one day, and there's in the corner, there's this four-ton block of stone standing in the corner. And Shaw looked over this massive stone. He said, what's this going to be? And he said, I have no idea. He said, I haven't made a plan yet. He said, you, you, you make a plan? He says, yeah, I have to make a plan. Shaw said, I don't plan anything. He said, I change my mind a dozen times a day. And his friend said, yes, that's all well and good when you're working with a four-ounce paper manuscript. But when you're working with a four-ton block of stone, you need a plan. We're, we're impressed with people who plan. Plans are important. It's important to have one. It's important to follow the correct plan. One of the Big missionary heroes of all time was a man named Hudson Taylor. Hudson Taylor was one of the first missionaries into China in the mid-1800s. And Hudson Taylor said this, we can make our best plans and try to carry them out on our own strength. Or we can make careful plans and ask God to bless them. Well, that sounds like a good idea, doesn't it? But then he said, yet another way of working is to begin with God, to ask Him his plans, and to offer ourselves to Him to carry out His purposes. You know, if a marriage of two lives coming together is worth a plan, then what about the eternal salvation of a soul? Or what about the eternal salvation of every soul? Isn't that worthy of a plan? If the weight of a four-tongued block of stone is worthy of a plan, then what about the, the weight of the world? Isn't that worth a plan? Shouldn't we have a plan to win the world for Christ. Well, the fact is, we, we do have a plan. Like Hudson Taylor said, it's God's plan. We just have to offer ourselves to Him. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 28, the very last chapter of the Gospel of Matthew. Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. This is a passage we've commonly called the Great Commission. Uh, that's, that's the name we give, the, the title we give to this passage. It's on page 835, if you're following along in those blue Bibles there, Matthew chapter 28. These are the final words of Jesus recorded by Matthew before He returned to the Father. This is His plan. This is His plan for every Christian. 
This is His plan for every church. This is His plan for all time. Until He returns, this is what we are to do. Verse 16 begins, Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw Him, they worshipped Him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to Me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That's, that's the plan. That's Jesus' plan to win this world to Himself. We are, we are worth His life. We are worthy of His spilled blood on the cross, but we are also worthy of His plan. And it's a beautiful thing to, to consider that not only did Jesus have a plan to save you, Jesus includes us in His plan to save the world. He has, Jesus has a plan to win the world, and we get to be a part of it. So how do we do that? How do we become part of His plan? Jesus lays out the plan for the disciples here, and for us, for all time. And He promises us that, that as we spread His Gospel in the world, first of all, He promises us that the power of Christ goes before us. The power of Christ goes before us. Now these are the last words of Matthew's Gospel. These are Jesus' final commands for us. We're remembering Veterans Day this weekend. And in, in military terms, for those of you that have served, in military terms, these are our final marching orders. You understand final marching orders. That means you follow them until you're told to do something different. You, you follow those orders until you are told to do otherwise. We've never been told. In 2,000 years, we've never been told to do otherwise. Do you realize that, that four years ago, it was just four years ago, when the final Japanese soldier serving in World War II, it was just four years ago when that man, that man passed away. Four years ago. He was 91 years old. The final Japanese soldier to surrender World War II. Do you know when he surrendered? March of 1974 is when he surrendered fighting World War II. March of 1974. Why did he not surrender before then? Because he had been holding out in the jungle. His final orders were to hold out in the jungle and he obeyed those orders for 29 years. Now, did he know the war was over? Yes, he knew the war was over. In fact, he had kind of become a legend. People talked about this soldier out in the jungle and, and, and people would go out to meet him and talk to him and, and they would tell him, the war's over, you can, you can come back. And he said, I will not come back, I will not surrender until I receive orders from a commanding officer. My superior has to tell me to, to, to surrender before I will surrender. Until those words came from a commanding officer, from a superior officer, he did not give up. Jesus is our superior. We take our orders from Him. And until He tells us to do otherwise, our job is to make disciples. Our job is to bring other people to Him. You look at this passage, and one of the things that you can't miss here in this passage is how the word all, the word all, A-L-L, -L, how it dominates these verses. Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. Make disciples of all nations. 
teaching them to observe all things I have commanded you, and I am with you all of the days. The emphasis is there to show us exactly what Jesus is Lord over. Jesus is Lord over. I almost heard, I almost heard you. Jesus is Lord over? All. Thank you. Jesus is Lord over it. That's, that's His authority. What does that have to do with you and me? What, what does that, how does that concern us? Jesus is sending us into the world, a world that He has all authority over. And He allows us to use that authority, to operate in that authority. In fact, as I read through the Gospels, as I read through the, the New Testament, I wonder if there's anything that we don't do in the authority of Jesus. Everything we do, we do in His authority. You know, you don't have to turn there, but in Mark chapter 9, that one little chapter records three instances of people serving in the authority of Jesus, serving in the name of Jesus. In verse 37 of Mark chapter 9, we're told that if we welcome a little child, we are to welcome that child in the name of Jesus. The very next verse talks about some men who were casting out demons, and the disciples wanted to stop them, but they said, they are casting out demons in your name. They are casting out demons in your authority. And Jesus says, leave them alone. And then just a few verses later, verse 41, even the smallest thing that we do, like offering a cup of cold water in Jesus' name, we are to do that in His authority. All things that we do, we do in His authority. We do in His name. Paul writes in Colossians chapter 3, verse 17, and whatever you do in word or deed, do everything, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. I think that's something we need to constantly remind ourselves of. Sometimes we seem a little timid about our faith, almost like we're apologizing to the world. Sorry to bother you. <laughs> sorry to bother you. We've got, a, we've got good news. I'm sorry to bother you. I'm sorry if it doesn't fit in with what you want to hear. You know, you, you can do whatever you want with this, but, but you know, we, we have this good news. We have this message. Jesus is making us do this. I, I'm sorry. We need to remember God has not given us a spirit of timidity. God has not given us a spirit of timidity. He's given us a spirit of power. And whatever we do in the name of the Lord Jesus, we do in His authority. We do in His power. So we need to walk like it. We need to talk like it. We need to not be ashamed of the message we carry, knowing that, that His message is the word of life for our, for our people, for our, for our world. As we carry that message, we remember Jesus' words here in Matthew 28, and we realize that, that, that it's not just about, uh, about his, his promise, and it's not just about His power, it's about His plan. The plan of Christ guides our path. To fail to plan is to plan to fail. Very good. You guys are doing good today. Everything we do, everything we do that's important, we, we have a plan. We have we have instructions that we follow. The beautiful thing about this Scripture is Jesus has given us His plan. His plan on how to spread the Gospel in this world. He says in verse 19, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. There's a lot of stuff in those two verses, but there's only one command in those verses. The one command is to make disciples. Everything else that he writes there tells us how we do that. So how do we make disciples? How do you make new Christians? Jesus lays out three steps in that process. The first step is summed up in one word with only two letters. G-O. We 
go. And that is the step that I think is most often overlooked. Do you remember the movie Field of Dreams? It's a few years old. You'd have to be older, you know, like Fred over here to remember it probably. But, you know, it was in color. Uh, so maybe you remember. Field of Dreams. Remember the big line in Field of Dreams? If you build it, they will come. Well, we built it. They will come, right? We, we put our name on the side. We, we, we put our address out there. We've got a website. We've got a Facebook page. We've got little cards that tell people what our service times are. If you build it, they will come. And sometimes we think that that's, that's the way it works. And we forget that we are called to go. Now, now, there is something to that. If you build it, they will come. You know, Jesus did tell us that we are a city set on a hill, and a, a city on a, a set on a hill cannot be hidden. We are to be the light of the world, and, and that light is to draw people in. Jesus said we are to be the salt of the earth, and salt, in order to have an effect, it has to permeate. It has to get in there and, and mix it up. Jesus calls us to go, to get involved in people's lives, to let them know who He is through, not just through our message, but through the way that we love them. Now, the fact is, the majority of people aren't going to become missionaries. The majority of you aren't going to become missionaries today. The majority of people aren't going to go. But even those of us who don't go, we should be busy sending others. Going is the first step. And if all we do is go, we've still not made disciples. And in the same way, the second step is baptizing. You hear that in Jesus' own words there in verse 19. He says, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, if you want to be a disciple, if you want to be a disciple, you'll submit to baptism. That's by his own words. That's what he tells us to do. It's part of the process. If we look through the book of Acts, every conversion story we have in the book of Acts, baptism is a part of that story. From, from Acts chapter 2, when all the people are, come forward and, and come to be baptized, about 3,000 are added to their number. And in Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, they all submit to baptism. When, when Philip speaks with the Ethiopian eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch says, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he's baptized. When the Apostle Paul submits to Christ, he submitted through baptism. When the Philippian jailer submits to Christ, he, he submits in his whole family, submit to baptism. When Paul writes to the Roman Christians in Romans chapter eight, he just or chapter six, excuse me, he just naturally assumes that they've all been baptized. Baptism is a part of becoming a disciple. It's it's something that we do. The problem is sometimes we, we see it as the end. We see it as the final step. And and we talk to kids, we talk to young people and say, Well, you know, you need to be thinking about getting baptized. Well, you, you need to get baptized. And and I think that's the problem. We've we've made it the end. It's it's just the beginning. But you see, baptism isn't something we do for ourselves. It's, it's something we have to submit to. Are we going to live a life of submission to Jesus? Well, that's the call, to submit to Him. That call of submission begins in baptism. But you know, it, it doesn't end there. And again, I think that's where we've failed our world at times. I think that's where we've failed our community at times. We've made it all about baptism. There's times when we've said, you need to get baptized, you need to get baptized. Like, that's the end of the line. It's just the beginning. Jesus goes on and He says in verse 20, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. It's a lifelong process. That's why every now and then we, we see someone come to Christ and when we start, we get them baptized and we start talking to them and then all of a sudden they say something like, you didn't tell me this was going to be hard. 
You said it was just about getting baptized. You didn't tell me this was going to be a lifelong thing and that I was going to have to work at this. You, know, you didn't tell me it was going to be hard, but we teach them to obey everything that Jesus has commanded. It's a, it's a lifelong process of becoming like Jesus. Back in Jesus' day, you know, rabbis had disciples. You know, that's rabbis are teachers and disciples are students. And, you know, we think of, we think of the teachers we have in the schools and, and their students. It wasn't like that. Rabbis would have these disciples, and the goal of the disciple was to become exactly like the rabbi. They watched the rabbi. It wasn't just about what they were teaching them. It wasn't just about, about this particular study or that particular study. They studied the rabbi. They wanted to be exactly like the rabbi. And so in Jesus' day, if, if, uh, if, if you saw a, a disciple walking around carrying his, carrying his scrolls a certain way, you could, tr- you could be sure that his rabbi carried his scrolls in the exact same way. You know, His, his rabbi was, was carrying his scrolls like that. If the disciple, if you saw a guy wearing his turban cocked just a little bit to the side, you could be sure that his rabbi wore his turban cocked just that way. If he cut his beard a certain way, you, you could be sure that his rabbi did that. They would even watch, if the rabbi had a limp, if the rabbi had a limp, you could watch his disciples and his disciples would all have that same limp because the goal of the disciple was to imitate the rabbi exactly. Not just what he believed, but how he lived, how he carried himself, how he even walked. To be a disciple was to mimic your teacher. And this is where we need to take a close look at ourselves and ask, how well does my life mimic Jesus' life? Do I walk like him? Do I talk like him? Do I say the things that he said? Do I love the people that Jesus loves? Do I serve the way he served? Do I serve with my whole life? Or or do I hold something back? What am I holding back from? Am I I holding back my temper? Uh, Am I holding back my trust? (laughs) Am I holding back my wallet? Am I holding back my heart? Other than, other than being here, someone told you to go and, and you came to church, other than, than getting wet, what proof is there that, that I am a disciple? That's a, that's a tough question. And there's not a single one of us who can say we've never failed. But the blessing, the promise, isn't found in us. The promise is found in Jesus. And His promise to be with us all of our lives. Jesus promises to the disciples, and He promises this to us. The very last part of of verse 20, Jesus said, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I want you to to notice what that promise is not. When Jesus says, I am with you always to the end of the age, that promise is not that life is always going to be easy because Jesus is with us. That promise is not that everything is always going to go our way, that the sun is always going to shine. It's not even a promise of success. Jesus is simply saying, I will always be there for you. And that promise is also, that's what Jesus is all about. That's that's the very essence of who Jesus is. You know, in about, in, in about two, three weeks, we're going to start singing Christmas songs, right? A couple, few, few weeks, we're going to start singing Christmas songs, and, and we're going to start reading the Christmas Scriptures. We're going to talk about Christmas a little bit more. One of the Scriptures we always read is there in Isaiah, with Isaiah's prophecy of, uh, that the virgin shall give birth, or the virgin shall be with child, and she will call his name Emmanuel, meaning God with us. God is with us. That's what Jesus came for. 
to be God with us, to be God with us here, God with us as we go, God with us through baptism in His, in his name, God with us as we learn and, and as we obey all the things that He has commanded us, and God with us to the very end. The part that I find most amazing in this whole passage is verse 17. When they saw Him, now keep in mind, according to Matthew, the only people there are the eleven. It's just the eleven disciples. Matthew says, And when they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. But some of them doubted. After all they had seen, after all they had experienced, after seeing him resurrected, some of them still doubted. But the amazing part to me isn't that they doubted. The amazing part to me is that they were obedient anyway. They did it anyway. They, they still went. They still made disciples. They still baptized. They, they still taught people to obey everything that He had commanded them. They still followed the plan despite the doubts. There wasn't a single one of them that said, I don't think this is going to work. I think we ought to try something different. You know, maybe if we did something on our own instead of what He's told us to do. Not a single one of them did it. They, they, they were effective despite their doubts. Despite not being sure if this was real, not being sure if this would work, they took Jesus at His word and they did the job that He left them here to do. I wonder if we've ever really considered that this is part of the good news also. You know, we, we talk a lot about the Gospel. We talk a lot about the good news and, and the promises that Jesus makes. We talk a lot about heaven. We tell people about how great heaven is and how you want to go there because it's really nice and you get to live there forever and, and it's going to be wonderful. And we try to convince people that heaven's a great place. I think heaven's a great place and that's wonderful. We also try to, try to convince people that sin is bad. And the problem is they really like to sin. But we have to convince them that sin is bad and you shouldn't do these things and, and, and you should try to live a better life than what you're living. And, and we, try to, we try to convince them that, that sin is bad and it's horrible and, and what you've been doing is wrong. But there are a lot of people in our lives and the only problem that they know for sure that they have is this. They're lonely. The only problem they know for sure that they have is they are alone. And we have a promise to them that they can go all the days of their lives knowing that they are not alone. Behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. I was reading over this this week and I suddenly realized I had a new question about this. I've read this scripture a lot. But I suddenly realized I had a new question, and, and I think I know what the answer is, but I'm a little uncomfortable with my answer. My question was this, if we don't follow Jesus' plan, if we don't make disciples, if we don't go, if we don't baptize, if we don't teach them to obey everything, if we don't follow Jesus' plan, do we still get that promise, I am with you always to the end of the age? Is Jesus promising that He is with us if we follow His plan? And if not, <laughs> you're on your own. Honestly, I don't think so. I think being with us is what Jesus does. I think that's part of, of who He is. And that's part of, of the package. When you take Jesus, you get Him. But I guess my question really is this. If we're not following Jesus' plan, 
are we really with Him? If we're not following His plan, are, are we really with Him? Can we follow Jesus and not follow His plan? There's an old preacher story. And one of these days I'm going to start being an old preacher. But not today. But there is an old preacher story that just about every preacher will tell sooner or later. And it's completely made up. It's not in the Scriptures at all. But that doesn't stop us from telling a good story every now and then. After Jesus gave these final command, this final command to His disciples, He ascended, He returned to heaven. That part we know for sure. And when He got to heaven, all the angels were waiting for Him. And one angel came up to Him and said, Boy, you sure were gone a long time. And uh, he said, how did it go? Did, did you tell everybody your message? And Jesus said, no, nah, I, I didn't have nearly enough time to tell everybody. In fact, I only told a few people. I, I only told, I, I left 11 guys down there, and, and they're going to take care of the rest of it. And the angel said, 11 people? Have you seen those people? Have you seen what they're like? You, you trusted 11 people to tell your message? How's that going to work? And Jesus said, well, those 11 will tell other people. And then the people that they tell, they'll tell other people. And the people that they tell, they'll tell other people. And sooner or later, my message will spread to the entire world. And the angel said, that seems risky. Eleven guys? What's your backup plan? And Jesus said, there is no backup plan. Folks, there is no backup plan. You want to see Kansas, Christian, or you want to see Kansas Illinois? come to faith in Jesus Christ, there's no backup plan. It's up to us. You want to see people in this world come to Christ? You want to see real eternal changes in the lives of people? You want to see people know that they have hope and that they have, uh, that they have the love of Christ? There is no backup plan. This is how it is done. But I want you to know this. Kansas Christian Church is a church that knows Jesus' plan. This is a church that is obedient to Jesus' plan. I got to do one of my favorite things Monday night. I got to meet with the missions committee. It's one of my favorite things I get to do. I mean, the rest of you are fine, but the missions committee, they're special. Uh, <laughs> we sat and we talked about the missions that we support. We talked about the, uh, the, the people that are hearing the good news of Jesus Christ around the world because this church gives, because this church is faithful to send and some people are faithful to go. We talked about those who are sending, those who are going. Uh, we talked about what a blessing it is and, and what we're a part of globally. Last year, I've shared this with you many times, but last year, uh, your elders arrived at the conclusion that if we're going to be faithful with what you give us resource-wise, money-wise, then we need to be tithing what you give us back into missions. And so 10% of everything that comes into the, comes into the, gen, uh, the, the general fund, 10% of that goes back out into missions. And we've got new missionaries that are being supported. They're doing amazing things. Next week you're going to hear from a few more of them. We've got people doing amazing things around this world. And the name of Jesus Christ is being lifted up because of the way that you are part of His plan. And again... There is no other plan. There's no backup plan. There's no other way to do it. Jesus commands us to go, and many people are going because Kansas Christian Church supports them, prays for them, loves them, and has a vision, a global vision to be a part of what Jesus is doing. But you got to know, it's not just about going around the world. It is about going across the street sometimes. 
It's about going down the road. And Jesus' plan works around the world, but it also works right here. As you love your neighbor, as you care for those in need, as Jesus promises to be with us to the end of the age, there are people in our community that know that's true because we promise to be with them. Because we bring the love of Christ and we bring the hope of Jesus Christ into their lives. They know that Jesus is real because they see Him in you. We've promised to be with them, to love them and care for them. Jesus has a plan. Let's all be part of that plan. Let's be faithful to His plan. Let's stand together and pray. Father, we seek to be Your obedient people. And in obedience, we seek to know Your heart. We seek to know Your love. We cannot do that without knowing and obeying Your command to spread the good news throughout this world. I thank You for leaders and individuals who are committed to missions right here. I thank You that there are people around the world today who know Jesus as Lord and know strength and healing and the power of a community of believers because Kansas Christian Church has sent and supplied and prayed and loved those who have gone to them. May we pour as much of our obedience into our neighbors, into the people nearest to us who also need you so desperately. May we realize that we are sent to them just as we are sent into all the world. And ultimately, may they know Jesus as Lord and as the only hope that we share. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Go in peace.